And hello, thank you for joining us for another episode of our podcast. I really appreciate it. My guest today is Colby Tunick. Hi, Colby. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing really well, David. Thanks for having me. Thank you for, for making the time. Colby is the CEO of Refocus, an AI platform that derives insights from every interaction and helps match customers' wants and needs with actual products and services at scale for insurance professionals. That's pretty niche. Colby currently works at the CA Earthquake Authority, and I'm guessing CA stands for California, which is the second largest single line natural catastrophe insurance company in the world, which would make sense. Previously, he worked at DME, an international defense consulting company, and at Voyager Space Tech Startup. Colby currently resides in San Diego, California, where he holds a BA with distinction from San Diego State University in International Security and Conflict Resolution. So did I read all that correctly? You, you did, David. Yep, yeah, it's definitely a, a fun background. It sounds crazier when someone else says it. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, but it's impressive. I want to start with your background. So you have the bachelor's with distinction from San Diego State in International Security and Conflict Resolution. How did that academic, well, first of all, why that academic focus? And then how did that academic focus lend itself to machine learning and AI and, you know, your, your current business? Absolutely. And I think it's, it's always fun to start at the beginning and take that walk down memory lane. We uh, ultimately, to understand Refocus AI and what it is that we do, you have to understand two things. You have to understand software and you have to understand machine learning. Uh, while at San Diego State University, I started working on a couple of conceptual machine learning projects around regulating hate speech online. And the mechanism to do that was machine learning and working with nonprofits on that. So that's how I began to have both a, you know, academic and professional interest in machine learning. But that doesn't necessarily solve the second piece, which I mentioned which was that software piece. Um, so after you know, traveling around the world, working with different governments on primarily at the time, it was uh, electronic customs or e-customs, the idea that you can help move products and services through borders more efficiently through the use of software. Uh, I was fortunate right out of college to get a job working for an international defense consultancy, DME, uh, doing research and grant writing, and eventually at the end, some, some project management. Uh, and while I was there, I had a, an opportunity at the same time to go work for a Voyager Tech uh, Voyager Space Technologies, which was, uh, was unfortunately, it's no longer around a startup based out of an incubator at the University of California, San Diego. And the mission of that company was to use software to shorten the satellite design process from 10 years to a year. And it, it take, so just to kind of give you an idea of this, the time scale there, by the time a satellite is actually launched, most of the technology on it is obsolete. So uh, yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting quandary. So that's why we were shortening that. And I was able to get that job because I was doing international consulting and working with governmental mm -hmm. agencies. And uh, a lot of satellites are, are owned and operated uh, and built by government. So that's actually was my entry there. But that gave me the background in software uh, that ultimately was later paired with my AI interest and experience. Uh, and that was the genesis of Refocus AI. So... 
Okay, so where's refocus AI right now? Is it in startup phase or or is it beyond that with employees and and, and accelerating? Yeah, so we're actually in our growth phase right now. We've gotten our first couple of contracts. The platform is, is built and working and it works extremely well. Uh, we're very proud of the fact that we are able to do something that no one thought was possible and that's generate an additional 10% of new revenue, bottom line revenue for the companies that use our technology because we're identifying opportunities that they had all along, but they didn't realize were there. And you may ask, well, you know, isn't it the job of someone in sales to know the opportunities that are in front of them? And you know, that's an absolutely uh, fair statement. But when you have hundreds, if not thousands, of customers, how can you ever know on, on a specific week or week by week basis, month by month basis, what every single one of those customers wants or needs are? Right. Do you? When you talk about AI and insurance professionals, whether they're service providers or staffers at a larger insurance company, is there pushback or resistance when it comes to using uh, Refocus or even similar uh, platforms? I think the the biggest question that we face is almost um, kind of introspective when we're, we're doing our, when we have our conversations and sales calls with our customers, oftentimes they'll look back at us and they'll say, is our data ready for this? Uh, which is interesting because every company is different. Every company has a different data set. Every company stores and accesses that data in their CRM or other kind of specific customer software uh, uniquely. Mm -hmm. So it's always interesting when you're on a call with, you know, a billion dollar a year revenue company and they look at us and they say, is, you know, new, new company, is our data good for this? And oftentimes it is, but that's often the biggest uh, hurdle is traditionally data has been thought of as purely a record, record keeping effort. And it was never thought of uh, until the last mm, five, maybe seven years as a way to generate revenue faster, to be able to scale faster, to be able to reach new customer segments uh, in more ways than has been previously uh, able. So that that's often the biggest pushback. Um, and then, of course, there's always the question of, um, you know, does it work? Because if it does work, why are we only figuring it out now? And that's because technology is finally at a point where um, we can access the data fast enough and we can scalably build and maintain machine learning models to, to provide these insights in real time. Yeah, because it's from just a, a digital marketing perspective, working with business owners, I've always said, if you don't know your numbers, how can I help? I can't, mm -hmm. I can't help you change your numbers if you don't know what they are, whether it's customer acquisition costs or what a realistic budget is for you. And that's usually, mm -hmm. uh, it's usually the first and biggest uh, obstacle. For the lay person out there, let me ask you to backtrack a little bit, if you would, and define what machine learning is for the lay person. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then secondly, why it should be relevant to them. And then I'll, follow up on that mm -hmm. 
Yeah, uh, fair, fair question. So machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence or AI. Um, we have as a, as a society, as a culture, as a global community, uh, thought of AI as sentient beings uh, for thousands of years. It's, it's something that can critically think uh, and more importantly, uh, apply past experience to new situations. So this would be if as a child you were hiking and you saw a snake on a trail while you were hiking. I live in Southern California, so we do a lot of outdoor things here. Yeah. Uh, and um, you, you know, are told as a, as a child that you know snakes are poisonous, to give them a wide berth, respect them. Uh, and then later in life, you're in the ocean and you see an eel. Eels kind of look like snakes. And you say, okay, I was told you know, when I was younger, stay, stay away from snakes. And you're like, I'm going to give this weird water snake a wide berth. Just, you know, I'm going to apply past experience to a brand new situation that has never occurred. Uh, and that's ultimately uh, what, what is sentience, what, what we consider artificial intelligence, and it doesn't exist. And I think that's the important thing to note is that AI has been popularized in, in um, science fiction and TV and movies doesn't actually exist. There is nothing that is able to generalize to that extent uh, and also be self-aware. So what we do have is machine learning and machine learning falls under that AI umbrella. And machine learning, the, the easy way to understand is, is it's statistics at scale. So while a statistician may look at a data set that has uh, five features, or if we're talking, if we're reducing it even further, if you're looking at an Excel spreadsheet, and you know, there's five columns and then there's a hundred rows. Each one of those columns is a identifying piece of information, right? If you're talking about humans, name, birth date, age, phone number, email, right? Those are all features in the data set. And then all of the different hundred people that have those features. What machine learning allows us to do uh, quickly, efficiently, cost-effectively is look at hundreds of identifiers across hundreds of thousands of people or individual instances in a way that hasn't been possible uh, scalably uh, with statistics before now. And the reason why it's called machine learning is because what is actually happening in the background is just a, a, a fairly, it, it can be complex, but often is, it's a fairly simplistic algebra equation. Mm. Uh, it's just vector multiplication for those that, that know what that are. Uh, and they, Constantly, as new data is coming in, that equation is giving out slightly different numbers. So it's not a static number. It doesn't just look at the data and say, okay, now it's five. Whatever that output is, it's five. What it does is, okay, now it's 4.9 and now it's going to be 4.6. Oh, but now it's 5.1. And it's learning as the new data is coming in because that algorithm is constantly updating. Uh, and so that's what machine learning is. That's what we have today in the world. That's how Tesla self-driving cars work. Um, that's how, you know, autonomous vehicles and drones and, and things like that function. That's how banks are able to automate uh, fraud risk at scale. Oh, and then you get an email at 2 a.m. that says, did you try to use your credit card in Brazil? And you're like, no, because I live in California. It's that same sort of, uh, you know, statistics at scale. That's how it works. And those are the, the applications I mentioned, self-driving vehicles, fraud detection, um, you know, advertisements, that's a big one. You click on something and then you're followed around the internet by pictures of tennis shoes for the next two months. Those are all examples of machine learning and statistics at work. So let's do the same for 
digital transformation as opposed to digital marketing, if you can, and where the two diverge, because I think it's important for people who are listening to our discussion to understand, you know, what is machine learning? What is AI? But then most of them have to be able to put it in context. How does this apply to me as a business owner? What are these these terms that, you know, you and I kind of take for granted because we work in it every day. I don't use machine learning on a daily basis, but I am familiar with it. Um, the same with AI, but I see people getting very confused or mixing up these terms or not even seeing the relevance of them. So could you just briefly break down digital marketing and digital transformation too? Because I, they definitely, you can't have one without the other, in my opinion. And maybe you could, you disagree, but I don't see how you could. I, I No, I do agree with you there, David. Uh, the part and parcel, I think digital marketing is uh, a subsection of digital transformation. So digital marketing uh, and it, it is a, a counterpart to digital sales and digital customer success. So under, so again, it, it would just be under the digital transformation umbrella. And when we talk about digital transformation, we talk about kind of a holistic or 360 degree view of bringing business processes just like we've done with digital marketing into the digital era where we rely on software and real-time insights to drive business decisions forward yeah yeah i think it's it's very important um, for business owners in particular and entrepreneurs listening or watching to be aware of the differences and where these different pieces of the puzzle kind of fit together in place so let me ask you should all businesses and I know that's a broad term. Should all businesses have a digital transformation plan that looks at the entire customer journey? Um, you know, it, I, and we can break that down as, as far as the, the whole term of funnel, because when people talk about a funnel, usually they don't understand what that means. Um, so should all businesses have a digital transformation plan that looks at the entire journey? If that is the case, where do they begin? And from my perspective, most businesses don't even have basic websites with SEO. So where do we where do we begin disseminating all of that? Yeah, and you know the the easiest answer there is to just begin. Uh, if you're a small business owner and you are trying to increase your your presence in the community or if you're a, a large existing business and you're trying to increase your market share or capture new customer segments the the best thing to do is understand what your objective is there uh, you know if you're a, a, a mom and pop uh, donut shop or deli you're probably not trying to become an international business you're probably trying to maybe expand to a couple other locations if you are trying to expand all over the world, then you're trying to become a franchise of some sort. Um, so start with the objectives. But then uh, the, the first place to start is just by doing something. And oftentimes that first step uh, reveals the necessary following steps. But uh, the, the most important thing, uh, and I think that this, this lends well for digital marketing, is to make sure you can be found, uh, especially if yeah. your business is locally or regionally focused. Uh, if it's only applicable to a certain geographic subset of customers, you need to make sure that those customers are able to find you quickly and they're able to interact with you in the ways that they 
prefer to interact with businesses. And that's often the biggest mind shift uh, for businesses that are undergoing digital transformations. You have to understand that uh, business owners now have to cater more to their customers' interaction preferences than they have had to in the past. Uh, and making sure that you understand who your demographics are. Uh, I, I, in sales marketing, we would call this your persona customers. Mm -hmm. who, who are the people you're actually trying to engage with? Uh, who do you want to be buying your products and services? And it can be varied, but you have to understand what those you know, people are and their buying preferences. Yeah, I've had like three calls for that recently where the business owners needed help with putting together a customer avatar not knowing who their ideal niche market who they should be marketing to mm -hmm. so you're throwing good money after bad because we're spending money on paid advertising or ppc and they don't know who who they should be outreaching to mm -hmm. who they should be trying to attract so nothing happens um but i think that's really key so let me kind of get into my next question. Where can machine learning help with that or make that mm -hmm. process easier? And how then is it changing the marketing landscape? Absolutely. So when we talk about the marketing landscape, we, we often talk about paid advertisements. And that has been the primary way that businesses for the last 20 years have driven traffic to their business. And when we talk about traffic, we can talk about physical traffic. So these are people coming in the front door. These are people shopping and being checked out at the register or digital traffic. These are people engaging in an online format through an application uh, on a web or a phone. It doesn't matter. And there's lots of ways that people can engage both physically and uh, on the internet with a, with a brand. And when we think about where machine learning comes in, machine learning can actually help you be more proactive in targeting those individuals. And actually a great example of where machine learning is used is in uh, determining the price of, of pay-per-click advertising, PPC advertising. That's how it's, uh, you know, why the rate changes on a day-to-day -day basis. It's because there's a machine learning algorithm in real time determining what uh, the winner of every uh, bid or the winner of every auction for that term will be and how much they will pay very true it's, i just i just wanted to interject that's also the reason why seo can seem volatile where i can go into google from where i am in florida and do a specific search but then someone else on the other side of the country can do the same search and see different results and it's kind of for that reason is that it changes so much Mm -hmm. And that would be the learning aspect of machine learning. It's learning the new information and it's providing an updated output, whatever that output is. It could be the price, it could be the term, it doesn't matter. But when we think about where machine learning comes in, machine learning allows customers to be reached proactively for really the first time. So the thing with, with paid ads, just like a, a storefront, is you're constantly trying to draw customers in. You're, you're putting out a sign of some sort, right? That could be a, an advertisement online. And you're saying, hey, you know, you search for this term, even though you weren't searching for us exactly, right? You were searching for white t-shirts and we're a t-shirt company. We think you should check us out because we're great. And oftentimes those companies are. But what is more impactful is if before that user has even really done that search, uh, before they've been bombarded with 10 or 15 ads across, you know, a 
a, a multiple day vendor finding expedition, someone gives them a call and says, hey, I know we haven't spoken before, but uh, I thought you might be in the market for white t-shirts. And then that customer is going to say, how did you know I was actually about to start looking? And that's where machine learning comes in. Okay. So why should why should businesses be leveraging this data and their own internal data? And how should they be doing that? So the one thing, uh, unfortunately, is that machine learning is not a silver bullet. Uh, it does not work hyper locally. Uh, and that's because there's normally just not enough data uh, available. If a, if a business has been for the last 20 years, uh, a physical storefront only with no web presence, they probably don't have enough data uh, in an accessible format in order to use machine learning. However, one of the reasons why you should start doing all of those things and working with people like David to increase your web traffic and SEO and presence is so that you can gather that data set to take advantage of machine learning and leapfrog your competitors. Where machine learning comes in is it comes in for businesses that uh, have an existing customer data set in an accessible way. And so these are companies that leverage a CRM uh, or some other sort of you know, centralized management system. So maybe and, enterprise level with like 50 or more employees. Is that safe? Um, we actually at, at Refocus I, we work with uh, about 10 employees. So, you know, that can be an owner and nine employees. That could be, you know, 10 employees plus the owner. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, there are companies that allow you to work smaller um, that work a little differently than us and focus on different channels. Uh, you know, a great application of, for AI, of which there are hundreds of companies working on right now, or automating uh, marketing content, right? So rather than you having to learn all of the SEO terms and constantly revise your, your ad language, they use a machine learning trained algorithm to say, okay, for this customer section and these keywords, here's what we think that, you know, the 100% best SEO you know, advertisement would be, right? So th there are ways to leverage machine learning, uh, but for what we're talking about at, at Refocus AI, which is proactively outreaching your customers, um, you need you need to be a little bit more mature. We're not talking full enterprise level, uh, but, you know, all businesses can uh, eventually leverage machine learning, but it's not a silver bullet. And, you know, A, if the information doesn't exist, how can any machine learning model predict on, who's going to buy what, because ultimately they're, they're data-driven entities. Uh, and then secondly, if your business doesn't have a way to record every interaction with a customer, and this is why CRMs are so popular, you're, you're losing valuable data that, you know, I mean, to take refocus AI and machine learning out of it, that's, you're, you're losing valuable revenue because all of those customer interactions that you're losing means that you're leaving, you know, virtual shopping carts unfulfilled. You're, you know, losing revenue by offering discounts to people that would have bought anyway for full price and, you know, a whole other myriad of reasons why companies should, should make sure they're not having any data leakage. Yeah. I mean, I use a pretty basic e-commerce platform myself just for courses and download eBooks. Um, and I have to admit, I mean, I don't even need that information, but I can see who looked at the, the e-commerce section, at what times, card abandonment, uh, you know, what my statistics are and how long did they spend on it. And I don't even look at that information. So, yeah, if you're a business ready to scale, I mean, I can't imagine 
a business such as a barber shop or a hair salon or God knows a grocery uh, provider or restaurant where you could anything where you could place orders for anything online, even a, 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 a therapist who could take payment online. Imagine the data that they could get uh, that would be directly relevant to them if they if they understand, you know, the processes, I think. Let me ask you to kind of switch gears a little bit. What careers do you see uh, in machine learning right now? If someone is a developer, a programmer, or they're interested, what what is the career outlook um, like right now? What types of future opportunities, what types of flexibilities are there? Yeah. So when we think about machine learning, uh, it's it's a burgeoning field, and it, it's uh, it's a great time to be someone in that field. But to be a machine learning engineer, you need to have two backgrounds, and this is why people in it right now make so much money because they're few and far between. One, you need to have a strong mathematics background. That's why I don't um, do it. <laughs> you need to, you need to be a data scientist, right? And data scientists yeah. are not are not computer engineers. They're not programmers. But then you also need to be a, a computer programmer. You also need to be a software engineer. And if you can combine those two, you become a machine learning engineer. Uh, a lot of companies are hiring data science teams right now, machine learning engineers specifically. Uh, machine learning as a field is becoming a lot more mature. So prior to, you know, four years ago, there really wasn't, um, you know, kind of plug and play machine learning solutions. There wasn't a, a standard way to build uh, and deploy something that uses machine learning. So, uh, you know, an example is when we think about a website, right? You can go to WordPress, you can go to Wix, you can go to Squarespace, you know, press a couple buttons, type in some text, bam, you have a website, right? Those are all frameworks that make launching and having a web presence really simple. But those didn't exist in machine learning five years ago. Very, very, very true. And I mean, I have to say, as someone with a background in web design and digital marketing, I've been in this since the internet began. I've yet to see anybody scale with a free DIY template. I've just never seen it happen, not one time. And I think it's largely because of, as, as you talked about earlier, they don't really help you get the number one thing you want, which is visibility. Unless you're already an expert in SEO, you're not going to know what to program in or, or the platform may not even be amenable to letting you do that. So it's kind of like the right tool for the right job. Um, are there countries that are most receptive to machine learning? And, and I don't know how they stack up. I mean, is the U.S. number one or would, would that be the U.K., China? Just out of curiosity. So, so in terms of machine learning, um, Machine learning is still very much an academic driven field. Uh, and so just the way it works is that what we have now in production being used by companies was first introduced around 10 years ago by a researcher or a, a, a professor at a, at a research university. Uh, and so if you want to figure out where there is most movement, uh, just look at the best, um, you know, programs and sort of machine learning uh, and that that those become hubs i don't necessarily know if there's one country leading uh the other um countries in asia so taiwan japan um two that popped to mind 
they did. Re uh, if you want to see machine learning at scale, look at things like uh, pandemic prevention and, and outbreak prevention. Uh, so the reason why Japan and Taiwan had such low uh, mortality rates because of COVID was um, one, they open sourced a lot of the data that they had, uh, the health data that, that that they had at a countrywide level. And then they built, had just freelancers, interested parties, uh, help them build out applications and programs, some using machine learning to, you know, prevent uh, and also help mitigate outbreaks where they occurred. So, yeah, it, it, it's more a matter of where where is the talent in the in the academic space? And then those academic spaces really become the genesis of a lot of the machine learning um, that we're, we're seeing today. Uh, on a small side note, David, I will say for Refocus Air, we probably spend 10 to 20 hours a month optimizing our, our website text uh, and it, it really SEO and the, the it, it, it's not a one and done thing. It takes forever always. Oh, absolutely. Um, on a, on a side note, I wrote a blog post on my own website at dms.blue and I wasn't even going to talk about this because I didn't know what you were going to touch on, but I wrote a blog post called I uh, changed my SEO and this is what happened. And the whole story is basically a competitor of mine back when I lived in Denver and I was extremely active and 100% true. He called me out of the blue one day because even though he was a competitor, we were on friendly terms. You know, I'd see him at different places and very, very friendly, outgoing guy. And he called me up one day and he said, you beautiful expletive expletive. How did you get to number one in Google locally? And I said, what are you talking about? I don't look at it every day. I can't, I can't handle this stress of that. What, what are you talking about? So I looked and sure enough, there I was, I couldn't believe it. I was on the first, first page of Google like three different times. <laughs> and so I told him, I said, well, what I did first of all was I had three different sites targeting local clientele. And I also was very specific focusing on people with WordPress for business interests, but I was blogging about it on a daily basis and I was tying together the local events with the challenges of the local business owner and then updating that content on the actual website itself on the front page of the site and then connecting that to the blog on a daily basis. And after about two weeks of doing that, you could see visibly the traction starting to take place. And the minute I stopped doing it, everything just went right on down again. But for that short period of time, which was a few months that I could maintain it, you really see a difference. And I think that's also something that we don't talk about enough when it comes to digital transformation is that the changes that we put in place have to be sustainable. Absolutely. Uh, Right. I mean, if you're if you're going to build a business around blogging every day, we blog uh, at Refocus AI and it, it normally it's just industry related. Um, the article this week was whether or not businesses should accept cryptocurrency as payment. What are the pros and cons there? Because um, that's kind of an interest for a lot of our subscribers. You know, if we're if if you build your business around that sort of regularly posted interval and you can't maintain it, then, you know, before you start really should take a hard look at what you can can maintain and if if you are planning on maintaining a daily blog post then you know what are the things they're not going to be able to do to support that and we see a lot of people start you know massive digital transformation projects and we're talking sometimes in the tens of millions of dollars internally right i mean they're centralizing all of their databases they're re-architecting their infrastructure to 
get more data visibility and collect more information on their customers. And then six months later, you know, that key executive leaves and then that $10 million investment was lost. Yeah, it happens all the time. And um, I think that's why it's what you're saying is so very, very important for a website or for digital marketing. What I always recommend for the business is if and I know this is going to sound crazy to some people, but if it at all possible, if you can have enough content before you launch for like six months, have a weekly blog post for the next six months. And if you can't do that, then just do it for, you know, uh, uh, two months, you know, but have at least something so that the, the um, what's the term, the flywheel, you mm -hmm. know, back in the old, olden times, you know, they would have these gigantic machines. And in order to get the wheel turning to power the machine, it would take so much power just to get it going. And that's kind of what digital marketing, content marketing, and all of this, the interconnected parts really are like to get them going. I always say, have as much content as you can, you mm -hmm. know, trying to do it on a weekly basis and God help you on a daily basis. I've, it, it's, it can be very overwhelming unless the infrastructure is already there. Yeah. I mean, similarly though, if you're going to launch a website for the first time, I can't tell you how many businesses I land on in their website haven't, hasn't been updated in six years yeah. or they started a blog and there hasn't been a blog article in three years. And then you, you kind of get, you know, the um, like Twilight Zone music in the background. And you're, like, Ooh. you're like, is this company still around? What's it just it, it's a it's not a good look. So uh, it's hard to, to know. I mean, it's like you're committing to, uh, you know, a new process, a new task and, you know, investing constantly and maintaining and, and, and updating it. You are. It's it's a new way of you know it's it's a new way of doing things that a lot of people in the previous generation weren't acclimated to i'm sympathetic i mean they didn't ask for the internet and they probably didn't necessarily want it but now it's here and you have to kind of scale accordingly and um i would say it's much more affordable in the long term too once you you make that switch um let me just ask you one or two more brief questions here where do you see the future machine learning going? How do you see that aiding international security and more effective conflict resolution? Yeah, uh, I don't necessarily know if, if machine learning AI will directly um, directly affect uh, the international uh, you know security environment. I know that uh, Salesforce put out uh, was it Salesforce McKinsey. I think it was like Salesforce and McKinsey, they put out a free economic simulator. So you can put in a whole bunch of different trends and then it'll predict, you know, what would this do at a, at a macro level for a country? Example? Oh, I'd love so, to see that. I'd love to see that. Yeah, it's a free tool. You can just go play around with it. Um, you know, so there are examples like that where, you know, we can use machine learning to infer, you know, possibly what will happen. Um, you know, again, oftentimes the data sets for those sort of things are not complete enough to, to have any sort of realistic, um, you know, just like tie realistically what will happen to what the, the, the machine learning model is able to predict. But, you know, it's fun nonetheless to try. I think where machine learning really comes into its own is in the business world. 
And in the last uh, 10 years, as a result of the internet, you know, salespeople, any salespeople, doesn't matter what industry or manufacturing, health, pharmaceuticals, you know, construction, wherever you are, um, you know, it, it takes 66% longer to get a hold of the target customer, right? So if cold calling, cold emailing, sending physical flyers, 66% longer, uh, you're 50% uh, less likely to win from the get-go because if you're lucky enough that the person you're trying to contact is already looking for a solution like yours, right? So if they're looking for digital marketing or content marketing solutions and you get a hold of them, chances are uh, over half the time they already have someone they want to work with, right? And so they're just almost using you as a, uh, or refocus as a, as a way to, uh, you know, confirm why their first choice is the best choice often it isn't you know more more choice more visibility isn't and then lastly uh sales cycles just take uh, on average 50 percent longer and all of this is a result of the fact that before the internet salespeople were the key holders the key source of information about a product or service now with the internet if you want to you know look up machine learning or digital marketing there's a wealth of free resources out there you don't have to go and talk to a specific individual to get that information and because of that salespeople, uh, and we're we're talking uh here uh, this statement's grounded in anything over two thousand dollars right it's why there are still car salesmen and couch salespeople and, and whatever else they've lost influence Right. And we've seen this in the insurance industry, even though 79% of customers, 78% of customers still choose to talk to an insurance person before buying, um, you know, that market share used to be 120 years ago. You couldn't buy it without speaking to an insurance professional. So um, what machine learning will allow sales sales professionals to do is regain some of that influence and some of that timeliness so that they can target prospects with products and services they actually want to buy when they want to buy it and they'll have the reason why that person is likely to buy that product before they even make that first call. Okay. Do you think that there are some instances where attempts at AI are, you know, just falling flat? And I don't know if the chatbot is a realistic application of that because I've seen that all over where almost every website now is trying to have a chatbot. I think I read somewhere like 80% of machine learning projects fail. And these are at companies that are well-funded with internal expertise, right? And then I, I, that failure can only magnify when you go down the you know revenue size of companies, right? Because they have... The, the, the pockets are not as lined, they're not as deep. Um, you know, if you're a small business owner, you're very much concerned about the bottom line. And at the first indication that something's not panning out, you know, people are more likely to pull the plug versus a large, you know, publicly traded company with shareholders and a board of directors that are a little bit more uh, used to risk. When we talk about, you know, why machine learning projects fail, it's because most of the time companies don't have a clear goal. Right. The same thing with content marketing. Why are you why are you publishing a daily article? You know, do you have readers or is your target market interesting or interested in reading a daily daily post from you? Uh, and because most machine learning projects are not grounded in a specific outcome that they're hoping to to achieve, they fail. Uh, 
the other thing is machine learning for a very long time has been thought of as a way to increase efficiency. The other flip side of the coin is to reduce staffing, right? If I can get a machine to do the invoice processing for me, I don't need, you know, two, you know, accounts payable people to sit there and manually enter details into a system for my accountant to look at. And the problem with machine learning in that context is, you know, we have enough data now. Most of the time, the cost it takes to build out the initial solution and maintain it yearly. Machine learning, like a website, like a digital marketing campaign, is something that requires constant attention. It's not one and done. Um, they end up costing about the same, if not more in some situations, than what it cost for the original humans to do the job. And I think that's one of the reasons why businesses have become a little disillusioned with, with machine learning. They'll, they'll become disillusioned with chatbots soon, I'm sure. It's because the, the time it took and the money it takes to maintain it is is comparable, right? It, you used to pay two people $50,000 a year to build out, you know, your or to, to, to answer the phones, to, to, to work the emails. Now you're paying a developer $120,000 a year to maintain a chatbot. Uh, but the, you know, do you see what I'm saying? Like, it, yeah, it I do. I do. I, I used to have, um, when I was like extremely active and I was getting, you know, a phone call like every 20 minutes, uh, I had so many people calling or emailing me who weren't a good fit. I tried to put together like my own interactive quiz where you type in your name and it would pick from this. Why are you contacting me and so on? And what I found was that people would just whip right through it. So that they mm -hmm. could send me the the spam uh, message or ask me for a price on something that's not defined, you know. So I, I found that it, it really wasn't doing anything. It was, you know. And because it, so you, one, you have to have, uh, you have to know upfront that you have a budget. Um, one thing that we found in the insurance space is that a lot of small business owners were talking, maybe they're a sole, sole ownership, sole employee, maybe they have two or three people helping them. Oftentimes they don't have a formal budget process, uh, right? So the money that they make every month that doesn't go to expenditures goes to them, which is fine if you're a small business, right? That's one of the attractive things about being a small business. But you cannot take on a major technological project if you're not okay spending a certain amount of month on building it out, maintaining it, so on and so forth. So um, the companies that do really well with machine learning understand that it's not about saving money, it's about generating novel value. It's about generating new value. Uh, it's about complementing your existing team. Uh, and it's also an investment, but it's an investment that in five to 10 years, uh, sometimes sooner, sometimes it's six months, will not only increase your bottom line, increase your sustainable and scalable growth, but will also leapfrog you over your nearest competitors. And so that's, but it's a different mindset. And that's why we don't see machine learning a lot on the, the micro scale or small scale business side. Well, Kobe, I want to thank you for your time. That's basically all the questions that I had for you, but um, I really enjoyed uh, listening to you and uh, some of your answers. If people want to learn more about Refocus AI, can you um, reiterate how they can get in touch? 
Yeah, absolutely. You can drop me an email at colby at refocusai.com. You can check out our website. Uh, we are for the term refocus AI, the number one listed company. Uh, if you take out the AI part and you go to refocus, I think we were 13 this morning. So still still working on uh, on getting that up. We constantly get beat by the, just like some imaging processing software out of Russia. Oh, well. Uh, so look us up, refocusai.com. Drop, drop me an email. We're always happy to chat and uh, answer any questions that people might have. Colby, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, David. Have a great one. Thank you. You as well. Thanks for tuning in to the David Summerfleck podcast. I really appreciate it. To learn more about the podcast or where to find episodes or how to apply to be a guest or submit a question, just go to www.dms.blue/podcast. Thanks again and hope to meet you in the next episode.